0: On that later. All right. That being said, sorry for for the long introduction there. So open your Bibles if you would to Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some on that back cart back there. Help yourself with one of those. You will need it because we are going to be looking at a few chapters tonight, and it's uh, great if you could follow along. I think you get a lot more out of it than that. So Deuteronomy chapter 18. And let's go before the Lord once more, and we'll start there. Father, we thank you again for this time that we get to look into your word, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would move by your Spirit in our hearts and our midst. Lord, your word's powerful. And, uh, Lord, you speak to us just so powerfully and frequently, I find, at least in my own life, through your word. And you could break open the heavens, and you can do it about a million other different ways, Lord, but I know in my own life I find that you speak to me much of the time through your word, and so we ask that you would do that great work in our hearts and our midst tonight, Lord, because you love us. You love us, and when you speak to things and speak into our lives, Lord, we can take it as you just speaking to us and be encouraged that when you're doing that, it's because you love us. And yeah, sometimes there's correction, sometimes there's exhortation to get going, and sometimes there's just comfort and sometimes just for joy and probably all sorts of other things that I just can't list right now. And we're so faithful to do that, Help us to receive all that you have for us. Move in our midst, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and as you guys know, they've been studying along with us. Deuteronomy just pretty much means, uh, a second, or it's a repeat of the law. Remember, uh, the law had been given, God's word had been given for this new nation that was birthed through the bringing of the slaves out of Egypt, uh, the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, long before, and they spent 400 years in slavery, and now, a new nation is being formed now being brought to the promised land well you might remember the story God did a lot of miracles in the land brought them out with a powerful hand wiped out the Egyptian army that was chasing them and now moving them towards the promised land but the first thing he did was was really trying to get Egypt out of the people you know they had been used to the idolatry and all the crazy stuff that was happening in Egypt and so the Lord's Move, getting getting rid of that and and telling them what it was to be a nation, how to live together, how to come and worship him uh how to uh, atone for sin, how to um uh, uh what, what his laws are and, and he and parked them in front of Mount Sinai for all oh, the better part of a year and uh and Moses got the instructions they built the place of worship, the tabernacle and the lord himself even spoke out the 10 commandments to before the people but you might remember as they were leaving there uh they made their way to uh to the border of the promised land and they sent in some spies and you know the rest of the story 10 of them came back with a a bad report and uh and that caused a discouragement among the people probably numbering around 3 million or so people and they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation had died off, uh, 20 and older. And so they died off. And then now this new generation was going to go into the land. And so the Lord wanted them to know again all that he had said, uh, all that he had, has for them, all that He was requiring of them. All He wants us to know. He wanted them to know he wants us to know. And so now Moses is repeating much of what we've already kind of looked at for the most part. Uh, from mid part of Exodus all the way through, uh, Numbers. And he's repeating it to this new, uh, generation. And so we're looking at some things, uh, again, most of them in repeat, but hey, we need repeat, don't we? I know I need repeat in my life. It's good to hear them again. So we'll be talking about in chapter 18, uh, taking care of the priests, uh, a warning against idolatry, and we'll talk about prophets at the end. So let's look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 18, and it says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion, therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he has said to them. Verse 3, And they shall be uh, it sh- this shall be the priest's due from the people, those who offer a sacrifice, whether it's a bull or a sheep. They shall give uh, the priest the shoulder, the cheek, and the stomach. So that's a uh, uh, manudo, right? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'm telling that way. you. You've got a little manudo going there back in the Old Testament. All right, verse 4. The first fruits of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord him and his sons forever. So again remember we've talked about this. The Lord had separated uh, back in Exodus with the golden calf issue if you remember that whole big problem they had. Now the Levites were going to be him. Again remember when we read these names just don't lose sight of the fact that you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. So sometimes in the Old Testament, sometimes they'll they use the word Israel, sometimes they use the word Jacob. Same guy. God just uh called him something different when uh he was walking in faith then. So and then he had twelve sons. Now every one of these people, um well, there were some that came out of Egypt, too, that weren't part of it. But for the most part, the Jews could trace back, let's say, all their family lineage to one of these 12 sons. And they would settle in areas divvied up by their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, how many generations that went back. And they would kind of set them up, and they would be there. Well, one of the group was, one of the 12 sons was named Levi. And everybody from him, also called the Levites, um whoever could trace their lineage back to him, well, they became the tribe, that group of people, if you would, that served the Lord in the tabernacle and later the temple. And also from that group was the priest, priestly line. And and so they had all that. So those, again, those uh, from, that gener- from that lineage, from that son, Levi, all those people now, uh, remember God said, I'm sending them apart to serve me. When they were walking around in the wilderness, they had duties like setting up the temple or the tabernacle, the tent where they met, um, and breaking it down and carrying it, and and different sections had different pieces they had to do and so forth. And they were there when they brought sacrifices or were doing things, they were there to help. And they really spoke, uh, um, uh, on behalf of the people to the Lord, and, uh, the Lord spoke to them on, uh, to speak to the people. And so, that was really how God intended it to be. But these guys, when they would come into the land, they wouldn't have a normal um, a, a, a amount of land inherent, given to them. They weren't going to have farms or ranches. Uh, they weren't going to be involved in trades like that. They were dependent on the people bringing their um Sacrifices, their tithes, and their offerings to the Lord. So they didn't have regular jobs, as we would say. And because of that, none of them would ever, you know, be very wealthy or have very much at all, really, at the, at the end of the day. And, and the idea was they were dependent on the Lord to provide through His people. And so, uh, the Lord's reminding them here that's the case. So they served, if you would, the spiritual needs of the people. And through their, then the people, through their giving, through their tithes, their offerings, their free wills, all those things that we've been talking about that, that they would bring to the Lord, that would take care of their physical needs, if you would. And, and so again, uh, we've also said in the past, it was kind of always, this was always kind of an indication of uh, how this, the nation was doing spiritually too. When these guys that served in the tabernacle and later on the temple area, when they had to go back and get regular jobs, it showed that the people weren't really bringing what they should have brought to the Lord, and that always was an indication, you know, that uh, the spiritual condition of the nation. We'll see that as we go through the Old Testament quite a bit. Um, you know, it really weren't walking in the ways of the Lord, and that caused these guys, hey, you know, we've got to feed our families, we've got to eat, and so they would have to go find jobs, so to speak, or go to farming or raising go and try to do something to, to make ends meet. And, and again, uh, 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 so God's saying, just don't don't forget about them. Don't forget about them uh, uh, when you go into the land and you do that. Um, and so not only were the people sometimes, that, that was a spiritual indication, but there was also the other side of the coin too, where the you have places in the Bible where, where then the religious leaders would take advantage of the people. Uh, probably one of the, uh, the easy ones to pick out in the Old Testament is uh, the very beginning of uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, there was a high priest named Eli, and he was a godly man, but he had a couple of wicked sons. And um, when the people would bring their offerings uh, uh, to the Lord, they would demand uh, the prime rib, <laughs> right? They wanted the T-bone steaks. They wanted the, you know, they would specifically take things that... uh well that the Lord hadn't intended for them and that in turn discouraged the people too so there was you know the other hand as well where the the ones that should have known better were taking advantage of the people that were just you know coming to to give to the Lord and uh, that would discourage the people as well Um, you know of course that was really multiplied in Jesus' day remember right when they um you know, Jesus had a lot to say about people being ripped off by the religious leaders. You remember in in Jesus' day, it got to the point where, uh, you know, Roman money was the currency of the day as a Roman empire, right? Well, they wouldn't, if you wanted to go to one of the festivals and, 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 uh, buy something, you couldn't use Roman money. You had to go to the money changers, remember, and exchange your Roman money, uh, for temple money. Which you know they would charge exorbitant rates. Obviously, the the uh, priestly plan didn't have any problems spending Roman money, but <laughs> so you had not only exchange it for temple money, but then you had to uh, even if you didn't have to do that, you'd have to buy one of their animals. And if you brought your own animal, you know one of the things Jesus criticized him about and said was was evil and wrong was you know, they look at some animals, and say, Oh, there's yeah, that leg isn't quite straight, you know, it's not good and I'm sorry, you're gonna have to buy one of our pre kosher animals or whatever and they would be taking advantage of the of the people and uh you know, it became a point where again, they would do the same thing to turn off people, uh, to the Lord. It made it very difficult for them to 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 wanna be a part of that. So it was always a again, these things were always a a sign of how the nation was doing either one side or the other. Um, and, and you know, I always find it personally difficult to talk about giving, really, because I always think people think it's self-serving in some way. But the reality of it is it's always this bad... It's always this small vocal minority that really just does it wrong, you know, that makes it... You know, they abuse it and take advantage of people and, you know appeal to people's greed by get a thousand you'll get ten thousand and all that kind of nonsense but um you, you know these guys had a legitimate need uh and and the Lord is addressing it here today and so uh, it's always important to, to remember uh what the Lord is uh reminding them to do here hey you know just be faithful I find it you know very easy even though that that Jesus Knew these guys were ripping off the people, right? I mean, he said it, we can read about it in the Gospels. You notice that he never once says for them not to give. As a matter of fact, there's a number of instances where he said, uh, if people should continue to give, or we'd stand in front of it, like in Mark chapter 12, and they were all giving in the widow's might, and you remember that whole story there. Uh, I, I find that very interesting because, um, you know, because people sometimes have this attitude today is like, well, I don't know if I like that, see what's going on, or, You know, I don't know if I agree with it, so I'm going to, you know, do my own thing, or I'm not sure if I want to support this, or I have to see whether I have extra or any of that kind of stuff. You know, I like the way Jesus, you know, even though he knew what they were giving to, he never said not to, because ultimately, the heart of every person should be, I'm giving this to the Lord. And and if somebody's not doing something right with it, well, God's going to deal with them. He certainly did with Eli and his boys, if you remember the rest of that story, and certainly with the religious leaders. Within a number of years, the whole temple, that whole system, would be wiped out uh, because of it. So uh, again, there's always a few bad eggs, but um, you know the Lord's reminding them, hey, just just be faithful, because um, remember your heart is you're doing it unto me, and so that's what he's reminding the people, whether in our day or or in this day, uh, to do that. And then he says in verse uh, six. So if a Levite comes uh, from any of your gates where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name where the Lord has God and all his brethren Levites do who stand there before the Lord. They shall have uh, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance so if you remember we've talked about this so all those names that was the land that they settled both on both sides of the Jordan River there and all those names for those cities you see up there were all the 48 cities that they were given to live in and the Lord had them kind of scattered throughout the whole land you know so that there was always a a Levite city around some of them will be for the cities of refuge we'll talk about that in a little bit but for the rest of them to live in they needed places to live but if if the the tabernacle and that day moved around a few places or Jerusalem uh, later on uh after Solomon built it. Let's say they lived up in the city farther north and they wanted, you know, I want to move closer to the where the temple is and I want to be a, a, a part of that then then they could always just join. Alright? They could always be a part uh, of what, you know, where the Lord was uh being worshipped or we had the temple or the tabernacle, whatever the case might be. And, and, and then he could be part and, and, and then earn his living off the, uh, the offerings that would come in at that point. Uh, what usually happened, just so you know, really under the time, uh, of David particularly, that, that they would have, uh, rotation. Uh, even John the Baptist, you know, even in the, in the, in the, not John the Baptist, I'm sorry, um, uh, who had John the Baptist dad, uh, help me out, I kind of brain fade, uh, Elizabeth, thank you, correct? <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Uh, anyway, you know, he you remember he was on a rotation when the angel spoke to him by having the son. And and so, uh, you know, they had rotations. So they would rotate every two weeks or every month. There's different places in the Old Testament where you see that as well where they rotated. So they would be down there for a while and serve and go back home. And so now if anybody wanted just to relocate, the Lord said, hey, that's fine too. They can jump right in there and, and if they want to be there uh, on a more full-time basis, they could do that. So the Lord was moving them. And, and then in verse nine, it says that then or when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you dispossess, Listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So again, the Lord reminds them again, and by the way, repeatedly. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know how many times he said this. Don't get caught up in what people are doing around you. Don't get caught up in any of that stuff. Your mind. You belong to me. You're holy. And the idea, again, remember, holy, it just means separated unto God. You're holy. You're separated unto God. You're mine. And you're always going to do things different, think different than the way everybody else does. And as I said, a lot of times it's not in a weird way. It's not that you have to wear a rainbow fro on the end zone or whatever and do that. I suppose it's not wrong if the Lord calls you to do that, but the idea is you're just going to be different. And the sooner we embrace that, the easier we, it just, you know, it's like water off the duck's back. And people will look at you kind of weird and maybe you get a few laughs. That's the worst thing that happens to any one of us, right? But we just realize that we're just going to be different. Our thinking's going to be different. The way we do things are going to be different because we belong to Him. And that's our mark. If we did things like everything everybody else and thought like everybody else, then I would say, oh, maybe you should really check, you know, <laughs> are you really the Lord's? Because you're just like everybody else. And so, again, God said, you know, you're going to be different. And we've talked about one of the things that the Lord constantly brings up is child sacrifice. And, you know, the evil that it was to the Lord. Um, you know, here's a little cartoon representation of it. But that's essentially what they would do is offer to Moab, they would offer their babies. And literally that, that image, the statue, the idol would be on fire and it would literally roast the baby alive. And, you know, we look at it as horrific, but in their minds it was, well, it was going to help them out. You know, they were sacrificing something so that, you know, their crops or the rest of their families would be blessed or on and on and on and on. And, and we think, man, that's just so, it's just hard to imagine. And I say, is it? (laughs) Because here's the modern day version of that, right? It's, it's, it's abortion. Oh, they don't do it outside. They don't wait till they're born, but they do it inside the womb. It's not so foreign as we think. Why do people do it? And, you know, I'm not trying to plant a flag here because, you know, a lot of people, you know, when they're young and stuff happen and, you know, it's, it's forgiving, but, um, you know, for those, it, it's you know, they're, they're told at places like Planned Parenthood, you know, oh, yeah, you're so young and you have your whole life ahead of you and it's going to hurt you financially and you're not responsible and, you know, you, you just give this up and things will be better for you. Really, the line is not much changed in, what, 4,000 or so years, I'll tell you. Um, and, and so the Lord says, listen, don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't stay away from it. We should, and He tells them we should never get caught up in the palm reading and the fortune telling and the astrology and checking your horoscopes and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just all, uh, from the enemy. He really just warns his people. You know, it's it's an abomination to him. Your magic eight balls. <laughs> you know, I've never the magic eight ball. I used to work for a guy who was my manager years ago, and he always have a magic eight ball by his desk. It's actually kind of funny. But you come in there with like a serious problem, sometime or issue. Hey, what are we gonna do? We have to make a big decision, and he'd say, "You consult the magic eight ball." And he'd take turn around behind his desk and shake it and go, "Oh no, we're not." You know, or you ever see those answers with the magic eight ball and stuff. Uh, it was funny. Unless you're, <laughs> sometimes you're frustrated, like, what are you doing? But it was actually kind of funny. And, you know, just stay away from that stuff. My family even makes fun of me, but I don't even like reading fortune cookies, okay? I mean, they think I'm crazy, but I know. Uh, I just like, you know, that stuff's unclean. <laughs> My wife laughs at me. She thinks it's not kind of funny. Really. But, But, you know, that's just how I feel about it. I'm not laying that on anybody else. But, you know, the bottom line is, Uh, why do people do that stuff anyway? Why do people go to that? Why do they read their horoscopes? Why do they, um, you know, read their palm or go see Madam, what's her name, Tony, on Freedom? Yeah, yeah, you know, over there. She's on Freedom, by the way, across from McDonald's. Not that I'm trying to tell you where she is, but, you know, she's over there. She's been there for years, and, you you know, why do people do that, to get their cards read or their palms read or whatever it is. If you go out to the, the fair every year, you know, they usually have one of those ladies out there whatever, just they're worried. They're concerned about the future. They're worried about things that are happening. They they realize things are out of their control and and, and so really you have to kinda of feel sorry for them because a lot of people are just desperate. They're 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 really, you know, desperate. There's even a was a T V show on not too long ago I think it was Hollywood Medium or something, wasn't it? I don't know, something I was catching something on the news, but, uh, you know, just people are desperate, and, you know, we that know the Lord, that's, you know, it's a its a great segue to witness to people, too, like, hey, I know you're desperate, I know you're worried. but I know the one who's in control of everything, you know, I know the one that loves you, he loved you so much he was willing to die for you, and, you know, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. The Lord says, "I'm stay away from all that craziness. I'm in control. Look to me, look to me." And He's reminding His people back then that they're going to be exposed to it in a greater way. Don't go near it. And so, as we sp- spoke about deceivers, so to speak, now He's going to talk about the one prophet that would come. Verse 15: the, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst." From your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desire of the Lord your God, um, all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire any more, lest I die. Verse 17 And the Lord said to me, What you have spoken is good, and I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so uh, the Lord says here something interesting, and it may ring a bell to something we've read in the New Testament as well, you know, certainly there was a number of prophets that came out of Moses. After Moses, no question about it. We'll, we've read through them. We'll read through them again. But this prophet would be unique. And if you look at verse 16, you notice that he says this prophet's going to be like me. Well, like him in what way? Well, remember when when the Lord spoke out the Ten Commandments, the people heard the voice. They saw the fire and the earthquake and the you know the rock split and all that stuff that was going on top of the mountain. They were down at the bottom and they heard that and they heard the voice of the Lord speak out and they freaked. They're like, "It's too much. If we hear any more, we are going to die." Moses, you speak to him. uh, Let him tell you, and then you come and tell us, and we'll listen to everything you do. So that that's the that's the context of what he's saying here. And, and so what he's saying is he's going to be like me. One is coming who speaks directly with. The Father, the Father speaks directly to him, and of course, um, you know, the people understood. And as a matter of fact, if you read in John chapter one, when the religious leaders go out to uh, hear and see what's going on with John the Baptist, you might remember in John chapter one, they say to him, "Hey, are are you Elijah? No,pe are you the prophet who is to come?" And that's what the reference was. Was to this section, are you this prophet that, that, um, that we know is gonna come? And, you know, of course, you know, John the Baptist said, no, uh, one coming after me, you, you know, uh, I, I'm not even worthy to untie, you know, his shoes, basically. You know, he's so much greater that I, I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes. If you get the idea of the sandals there. And, and so, uh, even the Jews in that day knew was speaking and believed most to be the Messiah and then of course in Acts chapter 3 where this is also quoted by Peter uh, where he said hey uh, and and when he was referring and preaching that message in Acts chapter 3 he said and and Jesus was the prophet that was foretold and he was speaking about what we're reading here in Deuteronomy 18 and then in Acts chapter 7 Stephen said the same thing when he was in front of the religious leaders remember and and giving them the gospel as well, speaking about this being Jesus. And so, uh, here we go, way back in Deuteronomy 18, making it very clear about uh, the coming of the Lord and there to listen to him. And mm-hmm. um, Much we can say on that, but, uh, uh you know, the Lord is letting his people know, well, 1,500 years or so before it happened, before Jesus came, actually. And and then so you have the true prophet, and now he's also going to talk about false prophets. So verse twenty, but the prophet who presumes to speak in a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall get a haircut. No, he shall die. Right. And if you say in your heart, well, how shall we know the word which the Lord uh, which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And so the Lord basically gives them a couple of tests. Now, we did talk about false prophets already, but here he reminds them again, uh, uh, the, the two tests would be, a, a, you know, a prophet is supposed to uh, be speaking God's word. Right? And if the prophet's message should be in accordance with God and with his word. Okay? Pretty simple. Uh, if they were to speak in the names of other gods or contradicted the word of God, then he was a false prophet. So, pretty easy. If it lines up with what you know God's word is, okay? Uh, uh, true, if he's, uh, you know, uh, talking about something else, some angel on the bed, with the golden specs reading Moroni or whatever <laughs> okay that totally contradicts the Bible in many ways not a new revelation or latter revelation or whatever they say and the second one is okay if he does prophesy it, it has to come to pass and so uh, uh, again if neither these conditions are are met and if they're not lining up then the would-be prophet no matter how Powerful he seemed, or what threats he leveled, or what predictions he made against them, the people don't feel threatened by him. You need to get rid of them, put away the evil on the land that's what they were to do in in their day. Now, people like to threaten you with this today. you know maybe you've been around and been a Christian a long time, and now um you know if you're somebody, supposedly i've been around a few times where You know somebody supposedly is prophesying, and then uh, you know uh, I say, well, that's not really scriptural, or the scripture doesn't talk about that, or that's that's not what the scripture says. Then a lot of people like to pull this you know verse out of their pocket, saying, well, who are you to come against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed, and don't judge God's anointed and 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 everything, and so you know just. Don't fall into that nonsense. You know, typically in the New Testament, we're really warned more against false teaching than false prophets. Um, although um, for prophecy, there is a very clear test given in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14. I'll let you read that on your own. Uh, you know, there's certain conditions or certain things that a prophecy is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, exhortation. Uh, anyway, I'll let you read that in uh, 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 14 if you'd like to know all that um, and it does talk about what prophecy sounds like in, in a church setting or in a Christian setting and what it's not you know somebody says the Lord spoke to me and I feel three people are going to give a thousand dollars tonight <laughs> that's not prophecy I could just tell you that right now okay <laughs> read 1st Corinthians 14 you can read all about that and uh, you know it talks about what what prophecy is and what it isn't in the church, and helps you discern if you ever find yourself in those situations. Um, the Bible's pretty clear on that. And again, the great warning, or the greater warning for us in the New Co- in the Testament certainly is uh, false teaching. So, um, but again, difference in the old new covenants as well. All right, Deuteronomy nineteen is pretty simple, straightforward. Um, it just talks about. Cities of refuge to be set up in case someone gets uh, killed by accident. And we already talked about this in Numbers uh, chapter 35, and so let's uh, let's read verse one. And when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare. Roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that the manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in, past time, in time past, when a man goes out uh, to the woods and his neighbor with his neighbor to cut timber. And his hand swings a stroke and the axe, with the axe to cut down the tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and kill him, though he was not deserving of death since he has not hated his victim in time past. Therefore I command you saying you shall "'Separate three cities for yourself. "'Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory "'as you swore to your fathers "'and gives you the land which He promised to give to your fathers, "'and if you keep all these commandments and do them "'which I command you today, to love the Lord your God "'and to walk in all, uh, always in his ways, "'then you shall add three more cities for yourself "'besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed "'in the midst of your land.'" which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. So the Lord basically said to set out these six cities. Now, we already talked about the three. Wow. The number is 35, and uh, that's on the, this side of the Jordan. And then there's supposed to be three um, cities on, on this side of the Jordan in, in the land that we've been talking about here. And, and again the idea was that you didn't have to cross mountain ranges or 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 you know go through rivers that are, that were difficult to cross or you know hard places that you were able to get one of these to one of these places pretty easy as a matter of fact they were supposed to make it easy they were supposed to have roads or bridges and they're supposed to be maintained and identified so people could get to one of these cities why? Well, remember they didn't have police forces in those days, Uh, like we do here. You know, you have a problem, somebody's doing something, you get on the horn, you call 911, and the police settle it all out. In those days, and really up until not that long ago, really uh, there wasn't a police force. And so, if somebody killed a member of your family, a close member of your family, it came upon the incumbent upon the family to now... uh, to take, uh, to to go in and 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 take their life. You know, they were responsible for the justice of that. You killed my brother, my dad, my son, whatever the case might be, my sister, this or that. Then you know that my job is now to you were you were to die. Now the Lord says, listen, when we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, if somebody murdered somebody, that was supposed to happen. But if it was an accident, and He gives an example, you know you're out in the, you're up on Mount Madonna there you want to chop down some firewood for the winter and you're up there and you guys are working away and, and all of a sudden something happens to the axe and it flies off and whacks the guy in the head and he falls over dead and you're like wow it's a total accident what in the world happened here well you can realize that the family is going to be upset they're going to be Obviously upset and a, a very powerful emotion. And the Lord doesn't really even address the family to notice that this happened to. Like, hey, control yourself. Hey, hold on a second. He really talks to the person that, that did it by accident. Hey, you better start huffing it back into one of these towns. Cause you'll get a fair trial there. It, you did it on accident. They'll protect you. That's their job. It's one of those, by the way, this is, uh, those, those six cities are, part of the 48 that the Levites would be. So you'd have, you know, all the people that should know better and know God's law would be there. And, and you'll get a fair hearing, and if you're innocent, you'll have a, fair, a place to stay, and and nobody can come in and harm you. We'll basically protect you. And, and so, uh, you, you know, that God was doing that. And he realizes emotions are going to be high. Uh, people are going to look at you to to, uh, to avenge your you know brother, sister, cousin, uncle, aunt, whatever, that died and the emotions are going to run high. So, you know, I'm going to make these places available, make sure that there's roads are maintained, that you can get to them really easy so that, you know, they just don't are so bereaved and they feel like they have to do this as part, you know, what I uh, have to do to honor my dead relative here is, is you know, hold you accountable for it. And so Lord actually made that uh, place for them to run to. And so that, that that nobody would die. Well, it was just an accident. Well, yeah, but, you know, they lost a husband, a dad, or whatever, this and that. And and so, you, you know, I don't want anything to to, um, to to have innocent blood being shed. It was already one thing. and well, now we're going to make it twice as bad. The Lord says, no, we're going to have these places. But verse 11 says, if anyone hates his neighbor or lies and waits for him or rises up, uh, against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. But if somebody had purposed in their heart to kill, we've been talking about this and they They hated him and they did something they want, and and, you know, basically their, their intent was to kill him. We call that first degree murder day. Then, you know, even if he took off to one of these cities, they they were to come to say, listen, this is what happened and prove to the city. And then they're supposed to say, okay, yep, here you go. And the guy over and there was capital punishment. We call it today. And so the Lord said, this is how I want it to be. That Innocent blood, uh, isn't, uh, shed and that there is laws with teeth in them. That, you know, people aren't going to want to do this They realize there is going to be repercussions. And so uh, that's what he tells them. And we've spent some time talking about that already. And then in verse 14 he says, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So kind of throwing in here in the midst of this capital punishment and and uh some of the things we'll talk about here in a minute was this idea of don't move boundary stones. the so Lord's given you land and it, it's yours. Don't be greedy. Don't don't be happy with the, what the Lord gives you. And again, here's some more modern day, but they would have here's a guy standing on a rock but you know, they'd have like a rock in the field and they would say, "Hey, you know, my land ends at the big rock on the side of the hill, right?" Or, you know, uh they you know, even a few hundred years ago they would build they would build, you know, stone walls and they would do that in those days too. Hey, that's my land ends there, mine's on this side, yours is on that side. Uh even back in the forest, sometimes they would use a tree. Here's it's actually marked for US forest, uh but they would use trees and you get the idea here. Sometimes they put like little posts in the ground. This is the end of it. And what God's saying is Hey, listen. Uh, what's laid out, you know, if it's you know a pile of stones, or don't go out there at night and move it over a foot every night, so you start getting you know more land or whatever. Uh, you know, it's just addressing people being greedy and being satisfied with what he's given them. So, so don't do that. You know, don't don't be greedy. Be satisfied, which is a message, of course, throughout scripture. Verse 15 says, One witness shall not rise up against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. And if a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judge judges shall make careful... uh, Inquiry, and indeed, if a witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as though, as he thought, I'm sorry, to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. Hereafter, they shall not again commit such evil among you. So the Lord said, listen, When you have witnesses, you need two or three witnesses to you know, to convict them. Um, you know, it used to be more and more that way in our own uh court system, but it's less and less that way. I don't know if you read um recently that the guy that was charged and convicted of that murdering that high school gal, that horrible Sierra Lamar. Remember that whole horrible thing, a number of years back in Morgan Hill? Interesting enough, he was convicted without any witnesses or without any body. Um, you know, so, uh, and I'm not saying that was long or you don't misunderstand me, but it just shows how our, our system has changed, uh, a, a little bit here. And, um, uh, it used to be more and more that way. Um, but, you know, we used to, and all that kind of stuff these days. And, um, but, uh, the really interesting part here is that if a person was lying, or a false witness and let's say you, you, know, you stood up and said yeah I saw them do that or yeah they did that or yeah they took this or yeah they killed that guy or whatever whatever they were being a false witness about or lying about basically we call it perjury today in our court system that if it was found out that they were lying then whatever they were lying about that punishment would fall on them can you imagine that? can you imagine if all the people that have ever lied in court in our court system and the punishment was that if you're found out lying, that whatever you were lying about, if it was murder, you would be punished as a murderer. If it was stealing, you'd be punished as a as a thief. And wow, that would change our whole system, wouldn't it? A justice system would change in a second. But God wanted them to be honest. Listen, you're gonna. Uh, you, you, it's not. Well, I just lied, or I didn't tell the whole truth, or whatever people think. I don't know what crazy things you know, people can think sometimes about lying about things, but you know, the Lord says, listen, I'm serious about this, and if it's in a, in a case where it could affect somebody's livelihood or life or cost them something, then you, you're found out lying. You're going to pay the price of it, you know, you're going to what did bread say, don't do the time, don't do the time, you can't do the time, or whatever. <laughs> you're going to pay for the, you're going to pay for it. And so that's exactly what You know, God was trying to stop. Don't lie. Be honest, especially when you're dealing with, you know, matters of crime and injustice. And and finally says in verse twenty one, Your eye shall not pity, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So this is what they were how to govern. This was really like the national law. You know, whatever they did, um, you know, that was the penalty. You weren't supposed to go above and beyond that. It was just in, in equal proportion. And of course, um, you know, Jesus took up on this on um, personal responsibility, remember? He said, um you, you know, uh, you've heard he said and he past an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you if someone, you know, uh, asks you to carry something a mile, go two miles, if, uh, you know, someone asks to, uh, you know, borrow a you know your shirt, give them your jacket to if someone um, you know hits you on the right cheek, you know left cheek, give them the right cheek, and so he really turned this whole um, uh, being equal into you know reciprocating with love and with mercy and grace on a personal responsibility level. Um, he really uh, told us, hey, this is what's really going to mark you as a as a child of God. You're not going to be like everybody else. And not an exact vengeance you're leaving that in the Lord's hands and so um, but but as a national policy as prime, that was still supposed to take place that was God's God's plan but on a personal level Jesus said hey listen this is this is how you're going to be marked as a child of God alright let's finish up with chapter 20 it's a pretty simple chapter here it's the laws concerning warfare and uh Again, I think it's, uh, it's a couple of good lessons here we close. Verse 1, And when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the, from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today, you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. This is stating the obvious, huh? Do not let your heart uh, faint. Uh, do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So words coming. The battle is about to take place. What do you do? Call of priest. <laughs> not give me last rites or something no, you know, he was the first guy to speak to the troops um, again, they were to remind the soldiers that hey, don't forget the work that the Lord had done he had taken care of the most powerful army in the world at the time, Egypt and and, and they were going to fight a bunch of slaves, the Hebrews I mean, they weren't soldiers, they weren't battle trained, they were slaves and so, remember, God took care of that. When you had zero chances of defending yourself and standing up to this powerful army, arguably the most powerful army in the world at that time, who took care of you? I did. And so the Lord's telling them that, reminding them that. Hey, allow this battle to be mine. I'm going to fight for you. We You would call that a holy war today. You thought people would call it that. And, and certainly, you know, they were going to be going into the land. Moses has given them the last speech before they cross over, and they will enter into battles. And, and, and he said, yes, this is going to be happening very soon in your near future, but also in future generations. There's going to be people that are going to come and want to attack you and other things that I'm going to be doing with a nation. It's going to happen. And he's reminding them, it's not how strong you are, or how well-equipped you are or how trained you were. It was always about depending or trusting in the Lord. And that's the same thing, too, with our spiritual battles today, guys. And our battles that we go on, they're spiritual battles. We need to be reminded that the New Testament picks up on this pretty clearly. Paul talks about this quite a bit. You know, you're going to be facing an enemy out there who is going to attack you. And sometimes... That attack comes from a person that you're very familiar with. It comes to that person. Hey, it's my neighbor. It's my cousin. It's, you know, my boss or this or that. And, and, you know, the enemy will use unbelievers to, to, to get in an attacks. So and what do you do? Well, I gotta get a better lawyer than they do. I gotta be smarter about them than they do. No, we trust in the Lord. He is our defender. We look to Him. It doesn't matter how well-equipped or well-staffed or any of this stuff. We trust in Him. We look to Him. He is the one that's going to take care of us. He's going to give us what we need when we need it. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus told the disciples. Hey, they're going to draw you up into court and want to, you know, uh, just ramrod you and imprison you for preaching the gospel. Don't worry about what you're going to say even up to the minute because I'll give you the words. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to speak when you need to speak it. And again, I think, you know, looking to Him. But I will just throw this out, you know, because this also, you know, has some very real application for us today in the world, not with us spiritually, and certainly it does in that. But, but you know, do you ever notice that, you know, um, why, you know, ISIS and Al Qaeda and all those other, you know, groups seem to be successful in their in their tactics? Because, you know, they get some imam somewhere, some, you know, Muslim preacher basically. And, and, uh, you know, these clerics will just rally up the truth. Yeah, die for Allah and all that kind of stuff, right? And you can kind of see where they, these guys get their their fervor sometimes you know they 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 talk them into doing some horrifically evil stuff and uh get these guys in these fervor and that's you know why that's why all these you know real uh, extreme Muslim groups have these firebrand clerics and their moms and stuff that will you know whip these people up into into doing stuff it's just uh you you wonder why they're kind of so tenacious and why they they seem to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Is you know because uh, these religious leaders do that to them. Sad to say, we, we see the effect of that in a, in a bad way. Of course, in a whole different way. Uh, you know, Muslims being completely different, not liking them to that. But you know, we kind of see that go on. Sad to say, with some uh, people that just don't know the Lord, obviously get him to do horrific stuff. But but again, the, back to where we were, you know, the Lord says, "Listen, I want you to encourage them. I want you to remind them who I am and that I'm God and I'm in control. And then the next thing, verse 5, then the officer shall speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and is not dedicated? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man dedicated. Verse 6, also... Uh, What man is uh, there who planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. Verse 7, And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another marry her. And and so all new soldiers would basically go through this vetting process, right? Right? You know, you have to get prepared for battle. There was a battle coming. You have to be prepared. So uh, this is what I need you to do is make sure things are in order. The Lord wanted the soldiers to be focused and having great faith when they go out to battle. And he knew that these things would will, will take their focus off serving him. So he said, there is a priority here. If, if you're home there's things going on with your home the things going on with your work say or marriage they're a priority you know you're not going to be able to uh, go out and fight the battle if those things are 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 issues in your life you're, you're just you're just not going to be ready for it and so the Lord says listen I, you, you know those things need to be in order so that you can focus on what i have for you and I think again that holds a lot of a lot of truth in our own life uh, as well, uh, you know, as Christians, and, you know, if, if something's up, you know, in the home, uh, in a marriage, uh, with, with work issues, you know, it's difficult to uh, to move ahead and serve and be, you know, all that God wants you to be when those things are kind of, you know, clouds looming over you, Now that doesn't mean we give up and refrain, but, you know, the Lord wants us to get those things settled so that He he can have, you know, those those are big, huge things and he, they're important and we need to have those so that we can mature and grow and move forward. And so he always wants us to have all those things um so that we can focus uh, more on him. And if they're out then they'll they'll distract us. They just they will. And not a bad thing, not a wrong thing. Nobody's uh getting mad over that. It's just things that maybe be in priority. But There would be people who would be disqualified, and that's in verse 8. The officers shall speak then, so now uh, these guys will speak to the people saying, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Well, let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be when the officers are finished speaking to the people, they shall make captains of the army to lead the people. So the people then that would be disqualified is, okay, who's chicken? No, I didn't say it that way. Who's afraid? <laughs> who's afraid? There's a battle coming up. Who's afraid? And if they're afraid and they don't have the faith and they're, you know, afraid, oh, how about this? is just, go. No. It's just, it's not about, we don't need you, you know, in that situation. I, I, it's not going to take, you know, you know, 60,000 to win this battle, it it, it, it it might take three or 30 or 300 in Gideon's case, right? There was, what, a million Midianites? And the Lord says, I only need 300. I'm going to only use 300. He you need, didn't you need 300. He so said, I'm going to only use 300, right? So it's not about that. The battle's the Lord's, and he just wanted, you know, people walking in faith. That's just always what the Lord wants here. You know, it's kind of, You know, always kind of been a World War II history buff a little bit, and you know, if you ever read stories about um, about some of the great soldiers in World War II, I always noticed there was a couple things about them. Either they knew they were going to die, or they knew they weren't going to die. And the bravest soldiers always kind of had one of those two things when you think about them. Either they thought, "Hey, I'm going to die, so I'm just going to do it anyway," or "I'm I'm not going to die, so I I might as well do it anyway." (laughs) Either way, they were kind of you know, you know, it, it, it kind of made them think. Hey, I'm, I'm putting off all the other stuff that would normally keep me back or hold me back, and and they were used in in great way in in, in battle. And the same thing is true with us. You know, the Lord wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to to know that He's in control. And 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 it, again, just like with everything, it's all about faith. You know. Uh, once they had people of faith that trust the Lord, that knew He was great, and, and their trust was in Him, and not how many soldiers they had, or how many you know, chariots, or horses, or spears, or swords, or whatever, but Lord, we have You, and that's good. Then they could pick the leaders. And that's what verse 9 says. And then you could pick the leaders. So, you know, there was an order. Hey, is the home okay? Working faithfully? Marriage is okay? Yeah, are you full of faith? You're ready to go. <laughs> that's what He said. And then verse ten, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept the offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute and serve you. And if the city will not uh, make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword, but the women, the little ones, the livestock, and everything that's in the city, all of it is spoil, You shall plunder for yourselves, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all of the cities which are far from you, which are not uh, of, the, of the cities of the nations, but the cities of the peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall... uh, You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. And so the Lord says, listen, uh, when you're going out, not when you're coming to the land I'm giving you, but later on when there's wars, you always make an offer of peace, and if they accept that, well, then they basically pay you taxes, and and, and you're to that. Um and, and then, but uh, remember the land of the Canaanites, which was a principal group of people in there, but all those other ones listed, uh, their practices, remember, and their perversions have gone on for centuries. God had given them time to repent. We've talked about this many times. And their judgment had come. And, you know, it was like a tumor of the body. It needed to be cut out. And God says, listen, if you don't get rid of it, it's eventually going to kill you as well. It'll infect you. And so the Lord tells them, uh, you know, they that's already a done deal. That needs to happen. Uh, I've already told you to do that. And, uh, and if you don't do it and if you don't listen to me, it's going to cause you to fall as well. And remember, the Lord never warns us needlessly. They didn't need that, and of course, you know the rest of that story. And let's finish up verse 19. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it, to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them, if you can eat them. Do not cut them down to use for siege, for the trees of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you No, are not trees for food you may destroy, and cut down to build siege works against a city that makes war with you until it's subdued. So again, the Lord didn't want his people to uh, indiscriminately destroy the lands that they would go into. You know, if something's bearing fruit, don't cut it down. It's use. I've given it to you. Cut down the trees that can just regrow and they aren't for food. So God gives them that instruction. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time again that we get to look at these things in your word. Just bless us with the insight that you have given us, Lord, and that you have spoken us to. So many lessons that, Lord, you have for us. Lord, may we be those that just receive all that you have for us, Lord. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, we'll read ahead on Sunday for uh, commandment number five. Remember what that was? Right.